0: Let's stand for the reading of God's holy word. We're going to be in the book of Revelation as we have been preaching through the Oantiphons, these seven prayers that make up the Christmas anthem, O Come, Emmanuel. We've come to the one where we, even early in our service, saying, O Come, Thou Dayspring from on high, and cheer us by Thy drawing nigh. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. This is the sixth in this series. Next Sunday will be the final as we look at these, Antiphons. And to understand where it comes from, we're gonna begin in the book of Revelation. I invite you to turn there in your bulletin, but to also use the Blue Pew Bible if you did not bring your own, because we're gonna move through a few parts of the scriptures today. I'll begin at Revelation 22. These are the last verses of the Bible recorded in the book of Revelation. Jesus speaks, I, Jesus, have sent my angel, to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. This is is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. How many of you slept more than eight hours last night? Raise your hands. How many of you less than four? Raise your hands. Somewhere in between most. The longest day of the year for most children it's Christmas Eve. The longest day for my parents was Christmas Day because I never slept on Christmas Eve. I've told you that before, I couldn't. And as soon as the light went out from underneath the door, I waited a little longer. One of five children, the middle child, I then moved to the tree and I began playing with all that was there until my dad would come and discipline me and send me back to my bed. And I still wouldn't sleep. I waited and waited and waited. Now, I'm a parent, five children, two son-in-laws, a granddaughter. The two married ladies are not with us this Christmas for the first time. That's a new journey, a new experience. They're with their extended families. So it's just the three of our youngest children. We woke them up this morning. So those who are weary and tired, it will come. There will be a time that will come. It's good to be with you today. Children, I know for many of you, you are thinking church on Christmas. This won't happen very many times in your life, and it's a sweet gift that you're here. Church, worship on Christmas, not an interruption, but a privilege to be together as the body of Christ, to do the very thing that we have been created to do. It is a gift, a gift, a gift that continues to give as we think and meditate upon the indescribable gift of Jesus, our son. I know that already most of you have torn into packages. You've received things and you're grateful for what your friends and family have provided for you. I know when I think back on my own Christmases, I love those mornings where we would unwrap the things that our parents had purchased for us, or made for us, that the joy of what had been brought and put under the tree. Some of the things I also remember that I purchased for others. And I didn't do a lot of that when I was little. I would buy something for each of my siblings and my mom and dad, and I remember some of those. And my favorite thing I ever got my father was a snake for Christmas. Sometimes you give gifts that you know are gonna benefit you as well as the one who would receive it. And in 1995, I gave my dad a snake. Now it's not the kind of snake you're thinking of, the one that would freak everybody out on Christmas morning. It was a new invention by Black and Decker, which would become their greatest seller for a long season. It was called the snake light. It was a flashlight that would wrap around some apparatus and then shine light on the carburetor or on a broken part of the refrigerator or the AC unit. And the reason it was a great gift is because if the snake wasn't in my father's hands, I was the snake. I was the one like many of you who had a father who said, here, hold the flashlight. And you had no idea whether that was gonna take five minutes or five hours. You had no idea how long you would hold the light so your dad could do the work. That's the gift I gave my dad in 1995. He loved it. We all loved it. If you've never had that experience, it's because time has passed a bit, but it was a great gift, a snake at Christmas. I want to talk about the other snake at Christmas for a bit. You may be thinking, why would you bring up Satan on Christmas Day? Well, how can you really understand this indescribable gift if you don't really understand the story, not just the backstory, but the story that's happening now? That even now, this powerful enemy, Satan, we're told in the word of God, the revelation, that he roams around looking for someone to devour. He and he's crafty. One of the ways he seeks to devour people is by making Christmas nothing more than sentiment, nothing more than just this one wonderful, warm feeling but it's not. Listen to what you lifted your voice just a few minutes ago and said in song. Go to page four in your bulletin. Listen to verse one of God rest ye merry gentlemen. God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our savior was born on Christmas day. Now imagine the songwriter thinking of the words that he would put to pen to paper next. Born on Christmas day, to save us all from Satan's power. All of this exists because of the evil that he brought into this world. All of this exists because a war was waged and it's not dualism, it's not Star Wars, it's not maybe the dark will win, maybe the light will win, but the dark is real. And Christ came as a light to conquer the darkness. We sang to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. All of us, the word of God tells us like sheep have gone astray. And each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him, that's Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Later in verse 3, it says, Fear not then, said the angel, let nothing you affright. This day is born a savior of a pure virgin bright to free all those who trust in him from Satan's power and might. If you're new to our church, we believe every word of this revelation. And it speaks of this enemy who roams around like a roaring lion. It tells us how we are to engage and resist him. But the story from the beginning of the Bible to the end is about this child promised, named Jesus, who is victorious over him. But this side of heaven, it's not nights filled with anticipation that often keep us up. Children, your parents, and as you get older you'll see, there's something we heard earlier called gloomy nights. Nights where we stay awake, not because we're anticipating something so joyful and beautiful and exciting, but we're anticipating things that are hard and dark. Doctors reports, relationships that are broken. We feel the effect of this dying and dark world. And that's where we come and why we come to find hope. Now, the reason I'm starting here is because in the book of Revelation, Jesus is describing himself as the bright morning star. Go back with me now to Revelation twenty-two, sixteen. 16. Verse 16, it says, I, Jesus, and so Jesus, this is being recorded by John, the apostle. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David. That's also one of the O and that was preached a couple of weeks ago. Then he says, I'm the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. So the very last book in the Bible speaks of Jesus being the bright morning star. It fulfills what was said about him in John's gospel, which we rehearsed earlier. He is the light, the light of the world. The darkness has not overcome it. But this phrase is very interesting. The bright morning star, it's the idea of of like Venus, that star that comes up, still seen in the dark before the sun itself rises. But this isn't the only place it occurs. It actually occurs in the oldest book in the Bible. So grab, grab the blue pew Bible in front of you and turn to the book of Job. Go to chapter 38, Job's horrific account near the end, has him in an encounter with God where the Lord is speaking to Job. If you ever struggle with anxiety, and I'm sure, like me, you do, when you can have your mind reminded of how great God is, of how in control God is, it can bring great peace to you. And this is an interesting part of the Bible that can actually do that when you and I remember who He is. I'm going to begin reading at verse 1 in Job 38. And I'm going to show you where this idea of this bright star comes. So Job 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said. So now this is what Job heard as God spoke. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? That's pretty strong. Dress for action, God says to Job. Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Now listen to God's questions to Job. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the, do you see it? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, the morning stars are the angels. Angels from the realm of glory. We were singing about it just a minute ago. That's what's so great about these Christmas carols. So often we just sing them and move on. They are taking us into layer after layer of the gospel in all these rich, rich lyrics. So the angels were the morning stars. They sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. This is amazing. One of those morning stars was Satan. In fact, Satan was one of the brightest of the morning stars, a high ranking angel before his fall. His primary job was to take the praise that was coming and descend, ascend it up to God the Father. In his fall, he wanted that which he did not deserve, that which was only for God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity, only for them. How do we know? Go with me to the book of Isaiah, where we get so many of the prophecies that come about Jesus, and listen to what is spoken of the fall of one who is evil. Isaiah 14, verse 12. I hope you're there with me. It's pretty amazing. The word of God says this, how you were fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. The same name. The same name given to Satan that's given to the son. But the difference is, the son, our savior, constantly sinned by this one who had the same name. Constantly tempted by him. Not just in the wilderness, but throughout his life. Suffering in those temptations. Hebrews 2 says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. So whatever you are tempted with, self-righteousness, pride, lust, greed, anger, gluttony, you name it. He was tempted in the same ways. Sexual sin, lying all of it Christ was tempted but he never fell this angel the day star the son of dawn Isaiah goes on how you are cut down to the ground you who laid the nations low you said in your heart I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God and I will set my throne on high I will sit on the Mount of Assembly in the far reaches of the north I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high, but you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit." What we sing at Christmas and all throughout the year really matters. These layers of the gospel from the beginning of Genesis to the end. Let me show you another way. When Jesus, go back to Revelation 22. When Jesus is speaking, In verse 16, it says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. We have in here recorded the last words recorded in scripture of Jesus. It's not necessarily the last things Jesus spoke, but it is the last recorded words we have. What is it that Jesus said? Look with me at verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon, amen. How does this give us hope? God's time and God's economy is not the same as ours. What seems like soon to us clearly is not soon to him. God knows, the Father knows when he is going to send his son again to this earth. And he's going to. What gives us hope is his return. What gives us hope is that he has promised to return. He is going to come for his bride. He is the bridegroom. What gives us hope is these words that he spoke recorded in the last book of the Bible. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen, and he is. Well, in the service singing joy to the world, it's actually a second Advent hymn. It's really pointed to the second coming of Christ. He's going to come for us, he promises. But when the gloomy night is more than a night... When the gloomy night moves into a season and that season stays with you, when your soul fills the darkness, when you find yourself in despair, when you find yourself living in dread, when your soul is in depression, when your body is aching, when relationships are not going well, where you seem to find yourself in conflict with almost everyone, when your body or the body of a loved one is giving out, these create the gloomy nights. And what gives us hope is this promise of his return. But there's another thing that gives us hope. And that is his revelation. And when I say his revelation, I simply mean this. From beginning to end, he has spoken to us in his word, this revelation. We have seen what John recorded as his last words. Surely I am coming soon. Well, what were his last commands? Look with me at verse 18. Jesus speaks these words. I warn everyone who hears these words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. What is Jesus Christ's final recorded words in the final book of the Bible? Surely I am coming soon. Secondly, do not add to this book. And do not take anything from this book. And we are tempted to do it all the time. Why? Because the serpent in the very first book of the Bible, asking the very first question in the Bible comes attacking the revealed word of God. The serpent says to Eve, did God really say? And he does the same thing to this day. Did God really say not to add anything to this book, friends? We add things all the time. We add our own self righteousness. We create rules like the Pharisees did that cause us to think of ourselves better than we should. I could be wrong, but I would imagine there's some even this morning who sinfully have thought me, my family, were better than others, or our church is better than other churches because we had church on Sunday the day after Christmas Eve when we were just here. If that's in your mind, it's self-righteous. If it's in your mind, you're adding two things that you think would cause God to see you better because of your own actions. Yes, he is pleased that we are together, but just because you're here doesn't mean he suddenly sees you better and says, now I will accept you. That's called self-righteousness, that's Pharisaism. And the Pharisees were the ones who added to the scriptures all the time. Do not add to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do not add to the scriptures. Do not add to the good news of the gospel with anything that you yourself are bringing as if it makes a difference in how God sees you. We are seen as justified because of what Christ did. We are seen as justified because of what Christ is doing even now in our lives. Don't add to it. Don't add to it. But also don't take from it. Did God really say, this is the way that pleases me. In all aspects of life that God spoke to, he's given us this truth. And whatever he says in regards to the way he wills for things to be, we are to tear no pages out. When we read the book of Romans chapter one and we see the way in which the world has fallen, certainly even before now, some think it's too harsh. Some think it's too judgmental. Some think it's not right to stand up for things that create such societal evil. Don't judge another person. God's word is not to be deleted. And the cost of not deleting it is great. It will be great, but we can't take pages and tear them out because it doesn't fit in the world that we live. Paul says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's this, and his spirit. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What's the last verse in the Bible? It really summarizes why we can't add to or take away from the word of God, the revelation. Jesus says, surely I'm coming soon. His return gives us hope. He gives us his revelation. We're not to delete it or add to it. And then he says this, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Let me unpack this as I close. Earlier in the service, Paul gave us the words of comfort and assurance from Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 describes the war we're in with Satan. This is what it says. I just want you to listen. Don't turn there, just listen. This is about all people. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air that is now at work among the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. All of us belonged to Satan. All of us were flooded by this one who is the prince of the power of the air. Now listen to the revelation. But God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he had for us, made us alive together in Christ. And this is not from yourself. It's Christmas day, listen. This is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works. Don't add to it. It is the gift of God, the gift of God. The grace of God is the gift of God, so that no man can boast. I gave my dad a snake for Christmas. About six years later, he had an infection that ate away, at the, ate away the mitral valve of his heart. I had no idea where my father stood with the Lord. They couldn't figure out what the infection was. He was in the hospital, I think, right under, not, right under 40 days, around 38 days. They finally found the infection. They killed the infection, and then they did the surgery on his heart. And he survived and lived a many number of years longer. But while he was in the hospital, not knowing if he would survive, God used me, his son, with his revelation, his light. And I took this light and the power of the Spirit, and I didn't take one thing out of it, and I didn't take one thing and add to it. My dad had grown up in a religious tradition where they added many things to the scriptures. He rebelled against that in such a way where he was now deleting things from the scriptures. Saying things like, it doesn't really matter as long as you just believe in something. That's deleting things from scriptures. At other times he would say, well, I haven't been good enough. You're right, dad, you haven't. And you never will be. Nobody will be. Only one ever was. It's Christ. In that moment, in that hospital room, my father prayed to receive Christ. This was a great day, a great day. Down the hall from my father was my uncle. I've told you about my uncle, Carol, especially at Thanksgiving. Uncle Carol was in the hospital for a heart condition. It was not his heart being destroyed by a bacteria, but by bad living, really bad living. Alcohol, lots of unhealthy food, just destruction to his body. The very same day I walked out of my dad's hospital room, having prayed with him the sinner's prayer, I turned and saw my uncle standing in the hallway. He said, Mark, come here, I wanna talk to you. I went in to talk to him. It was Good Friday, by the way. He sat on his bed and said, they say they can't help me. My heart's too far gone. Would you pray with me? Because I don't know what will happen if I die. Uncle Carol, do you want to know what it would mean to live forever with Christ? Yes, I know you're the preacher in the family. I was still in college, by the way. Tell me. And I did. I held up the same light, the same revelation. Talked about the same Christ who had come, the same Christ who promised to return, the same Christ that we would live with forever if we simply received him. And there in that hospital room, just doors down from my father, he too prayed the sinner's prayer. It was Good Friday. He went home on Saturday. They found him dead on Easter morning. Hallelujah. He's in the presence of, of the man who is God, Jesus. For most of his life, that enemy sought to keep him from ever receiving the truth. God has you here today. You have heard the truth. Some of you have already received it. Some of you may think you've received it. Some of you know you haven't. I don't know where you are, but I know that you're here. And the joy for which we who are in Christ sing is a joy that comes from the constant reminder that like you, we didn't deserve it. Like you, we can't earn it. And like you, if you open this gift and receive it, we have, not adding to it, not deleting from it. And so we have a joy and a hope that is in this day spring, this bright morning star, which this side of heaven, we need him constantly to remind us of his promised return and remind us of his revelation. And he does, he does. He gives us everything we need. Merry Christmas, friends. Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. Jesus, before we stand and lift our voices in song, if there are any who are here, I pray this would be the moment for them like my Uncle Carol, like my father. And Lord, we hold up and have held up the light to them that they may see that you have overcome the darkness and that they would receive you even now. Friend, if that is you, simply pray for Christ to forgive you. Ask him to be your Lord. Receive his salvation right now. And Father, for those who know you already, I pray that they would not have missed the point where they have thought this message was just for those who are lost. For if that's our attitude, Lord, it's a sign that we are living, disconnected from the reality of who you are even now. So whatever gloomy night we have been in, will be in, or in right now. Whether that is a night or a season, I pray that you would overwhelm all of us with the good news of Christ, his promise return, his revelation given even this day in his word. Father, we need you. Thank you for giving us your son. And thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who is in us even now. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.